to, to God himself. And we're conceding, we're surrendering that not everything's going to be in our time, it's going to be in his time. And we want it to be in his time because his time is perfect. I know it's frustrating because he's got all the time in the world and we feel like we've got such a finite amount, but we need to trust in him. And that really is the message this morning. I'm putting the slide back up as a regular reminder. Really the same figures I shared before. 82% of unchurched people will likely attend church if invited. That seems high. I would say 82% will say they'll come to church, but wouldn't it be cool if that number was true? And 2% of church people, so people who attend church, offer invitations. Now look around. That means less than one of us is inviting people. But if we were to invite everybody in the, in the community, we would overflow this room statistically. Now, I know that's a stretch. But if we could get them in a church, in a relationship with God, wouldn't that be a victory? It says, who are you inviting? But I love this. It says, you know, the cross is love. And, and love is symbolized by the cross. And sharing that is an act of love for others. Last week, we asked ourselves, who is writing my story? As we considered our own responsibility for the stories of our life and the story that our life tells. And it's true. Uh, we don't live in a, in a secluded box. We are kind of more like in a fishbowl where all the people around us see us and know us and watch us and unfortunately sometimes judge us. So, so there's a story that our lives tell as well. And we were reminded that there are numerous distractions at work attempting to be an influence in the way that our story is written. And we must both be aware of that and on guard against those and allow no one but God to be the ultimate guide in how we live our lives, how we, how we view our circumstances and how we view others, and especially how we view ourselves. I concluded by recognizing there are likely parts of your story in your past and, and possibly still in your present or that you aren't particularly proud of, that part of your story, that, that period of your life, that decision you made. And, and I refer to scripture to remind you that real change is possible. Real change is possible. And the hope in that statement was that we are never so far down the path of a, a way of life, an addiction, a, a series of, of poor decisions that we aren't able to make a change because we have the ability and power to change when we use the right tools to do so. In that respect, change is a good thing because we need the hope that the bad, like the, the uncomfortable, the bad, isn't permanent, that there is a change coming, that things will get better. But in respect to good things, we want stable, right? The good things we want predictable and remain reliable. No changes in the good stuff, right? When we consider what is good, we, we must use the biblical definition and, and not the world skewed one. So we find the word good in several places um, and we can take from that its meaning. You know, early in Genesis it says, possessing desirable qualities, beneficial, agreeable. And, and in Genesis, like I said, this was good for food. They found it was good for food. So it was desirable, it had qualities that were desirable. It can also mean moral excellence or piety. You know, we, Genesis talks about no good and evil, the difference between what is excellent and what is not. Uh, Deuteronomy talks about that which is right and good and depart from evil and do good. So there's this dichotomy of, of good from evil, not just bad. It also means being kind and benevolent or adequate and sufficient, like a good amount of something, you know. 
God saw the light and it was good. It was sufficient. It was, it was everything it needed to be to provide the light. Also means not small or deficient. So it's, again, full and complete. You can have a good understanding, a complete understanding. Not blemished. Or it can also be pleasure-giving, like your good of heart is a term that's often used in the Old Testament. Okay? And the same word can be used as a verb, to, to do good. This occurs several times in, in, in Scripture. It says, make your way and, and do good to and for others. And, and why I'm taking so much time to prove the definition of good is because we seem to have forgotten what it means to be good, right? Sometimes we mean good is just the absence of a bad. Well, I didn't <coughs> yell at them back. I didn't give them the finger when they cut me off. Well, that's not good. That's, that's the bare minimum of acceptable. Good would be maybe bless that person. Ooh, that's tough. Ooh, that's tough. But, but doesn't God tell us to love the unlovable? God has this one figured out, and the scripture reveals the nature of God. Like Psalm, the psalmist writes, 145.9, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has created. That's everything. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That is him. His love endures forever. This, this is God's timelessness forever. That's a mighty long time, and we call this God's faithfulness, that his goodness lasts forever. And we can take our pick from numerous places in the Bible where we are literally told that God is good and even more places where his character of goodness is revealed through his actions and his involvement in the world. And the latter isn't just Bible stories to be re-read and studied as a history lesson, but rather his goodness and faithfulness is still apparent today. We celebrated this in our prayer request. We said the cancer is in remission, right? The, 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 the student is doing better, um, you know, these are, these are good things. And, and so we can, we can celebrate that and know that God is still at work being faithful and good and taking care of things. And this is the true goodness of God. And it says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is, that is everyone because we've all been called to his purpose. We are called according to his purpose. And that's from Romans 8.28. And, and we remember that often, right? Because it's often also taken out of context. It doesn't say everything is good and not everything is good for us. But it says all things can be taken and, and made good. James 1.17-18 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights and listeners who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. A first fruit is the best, the top of the crop, perfect, no blemishes, nothing. The first fruits are the best, the first one you get. He's saying you are the first fruits because he has brought good and perfect things down and that doesn't change. I want to share with you this passage from Malachi and, and you'll recognize the part that's often used in our time of, of offering. But it says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? 
yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse for your whole nation because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And these are all the, the common concerns of the time. So insert your concern right now from the world. And he's saying, I will take care of that. And then says, then all the nations will call you blessed for your, yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So let me give you the context of this passage. Malachi was a prophet. The Israelites had, once again, failed to observe God's laws as they, as they had promised that they would do. So I'm going to kind of bring some stuff out. From Exodus 24, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. This is the promise that they had made. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. And then jumping to verse 7 of Exodus 24, then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. They made a promise. And they had broken that promise. And this wasn't the first or the last time they had broken that promise. And, and, and things were starting to happen, right? God had withdrawn his blessing a little bit and, and they found themselves exiled. They found their temple destroyed. They found themselves taken slaves uh, by other nations. And, and Malachi, just like Jeremiah, was prophesying what was going to happen. And, and God spoke and he gave clear instructions. The first verse, and this is, the, I, the Lord, do not change. First verse says, God himself has not changed. Nothing has changed from, from when he rescued them, how much he loved them. None of that's changed. The primary reason Israel had not been destroyed at all was because God's faithfulness to his covenants. We, the people, blew it. And he said, I, I will not, I will no, never again destroy my creation. I'll never again destroy people. Okay? So he kept his promise and he continues to love them. God will not change his mind concerning his people or any part of creation. That is, that is a fact. And the people are the ones who change and turn away from God. And, and they question whether it is even possible for them to turn back, right? Do we ever feel that way? Like, I have made so many decisions or I'm, I'm on this path. How did I get here? More importantly, how do I get back to being a good person and making good decisions to, to where God wants me to be? And he says right there in the verse, he says, return to me. The Hebrew word for returning or turning around appears here with the idea of repentance, which means that to 180, to not only stop, but turn around, turn away from. So he says, return to me. God states that one way that, that they could show renewed loyalty would be to, to stop robbing them of tithes and offerings. Now, obviously, tithes would get hung up on because we think money. But if we think about what offerings are, these are the additional gifts that we give. Tithe was a 10% a requirement. Tithe means 10%. That was a 10% requirement, 10% of your first fruits, of your first whatever that was supposed to give. And then there were offerings. Okay, This is the over and above what's required because we are called to give joyfully. And, and offerings can include time, talents, and treasures. Not just the money we place in the offering plate on Sunday mornings, but the other things we talk about. How to serve others. How to care for someone in the community how to give our time and the God-given talents to do something to show love for other people. So obedience to his commandments and instructions is a significant step in restoring the relationship with him. 
right? Stop and turn away from the stuff you shouldn't be doing and start working in direction towards the way of the things you should be doing. The point of this message is not that God would bless the people based on their giving, but instead that he would honor his covenant, right? So when he says, test me in this, and see if I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will be not room enough to store it, okay? The blessing is the gift. The blessing is the promise. Go ahead and flip it one more time. So this is a slide that I found. It was one of the verses of the day this week, and it just happened to fit in. And, and it's Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And, and the, the graphic, obviously, is this straight line. I'm, I do not change. I'm stable. We find peace in knowing that God is unchanging because he is good. You know, that bar is, is way up here. And we rely on his faithfulness, or, or at least we should, right? We shouldn't take it for granted. But we as people are, are fickle. We, we want change when we don't like the status quo, even if it's good. If we don't like it, we want change. And we make comparisons, you know. And we say that comparison breeds dissatisfaction. We were joking about that in the house this morning, that you look at other stuff and, and you're good and your good stuff and your good qualities, you look at someone else and gosh, you know, oh, I'm not as good because of that or that. Or, you know, you, you look outside yourself, but really the only place you'd look for a judge of what's good and what you should be striving for is up, up. But we want to know that life will get better. We will, we will have more things, make more money, get healthier, be wiser, be happier. We want God to be reliably unchanging in his promise of these things, but but that isn't really what the promise is, is it? I mean, we know that there are troubles in our broken world and there are struggles and trials in our own lives. And Jesus promises this. But listen to what he says next. He says, I have told you these things so that in, you, or in me you may have peace. And here's the promise. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's John 16.33. So let me read that again. John 16.33. I have told you these things so that in me, so he's saying through your relationship with me, you may have peace. And this is really what we should be praying for in these situations. Lord, give me peace so you do what you need to do and let me find peace in, in the meantime. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, there is a truth, okay? This isn't just, oh, it seems bad. And Jesus is saying, you're gonna have trouble. He says, but take heart. Other translations say, be courageous. He says, I have overcome the world and that is the promise of an unchanging God. Because God's faithfulness and our faith in him, we can trust God to, to do what is best, okay? Do what's best for, for all people. Doesn't mean it's what you want, may not be the best thing that you can think of, but God will take it and work for good for all people. And, and you can count on God to be a good and fair judge of right, he'll right wrongs. Okay? It's not our place to judge and convict and condemn and prosecute, persecute both, um, someone. That's, that's God's. And that's so hard for us because we want to be validated. We want to be vindicated. We, we want there to, to be this sense of justice. But we will never be able to judge fairly like God can. So we, we need to trust him to do that. We need to trust him to see, hear, and know everything that's going on within and around us. Now, that might make you uncomfortable because that stuff we shouldn't be doing, the stuff we shouldn't be thinking or saying, we don't like that part, right? This is one of those things we pick and choose, but we have a constant God. He's always with us, always with us. That's a good thing. 
and, and we count on him and trust him to be present care and to seek and save the lost. Like two weeks ago, we talked about the shepherd and his sheep. He pursues the one. He makes sure the, the rest are safe within his care and he goes after the lost and sometimes that lost is us. Sometimes that lost is us. And, you know, instead of that, that straight line graph that I had a minute ago with that Malachi verse, we, I put this one up here, right? We want this track record of improving. And I originally thought this, me- this message would, would kind of reveal that God has kept his promises. And, and there are so many stories in the Bible when we consider his track record of people, individuals and groups and nations that he had saved and rescued and provided for. The entire book is full of how he's done that for all of creation. But what about your own experience? What have you seen him do in others' lives or or more importantly, or equally important anyway, yours? Do you see how he's kept you safe? Maybe you don't, you know, recognize that this happened, but, but through a series of events, he may have protected you from something happening. He provides provisions. Do you realize that having just enough food and clothing and shelter, the things that you, just the bare minimum, that is a blessing that not everybody in the world gets to enjoy, right? This is, God has a track record of providing for you. He has a track record of equipping you. Now, you may think that that these weird gifts you have or, or, you know, affinities you have for things, but that's an equipping that God has put within you, a passion to go do something in his name in the world. So make sure you're using that properly. You've probably seen him making changes in your life. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been really uncomfortable. But hasn't it been through some of those changes you got unstuck from where you were in a situation or in a, a spot in, in your faith? And he had to go through this uncomfortable to get to where you now, where you are now. And he'll continue to do that. You can rely on him and you can look at his track record of creating opportunities. Maybe you've missed some, okay? Don't miss them more because he's, he's gonna continue to do those. And he has a track record of, of nudging you, of putting you in situations, of, of trying to get you to do something and you feel that. And he also has a track record of convicting, not condemning, God does not condemn. You're not a bad person, but he might say that's not a good thing. That's his track record. That is what we can reliably count on him to do, and that's a good thing. And all of us at times fight discouragement over situations and circumstances that that face us daily. It could be decisions that are made or personalities that irritate us. But God has called us to not only trust him in all things, but to rise above all of these things. All the things that might rob you of your joy and peace, rise above them. When the people... When the problem seems too big, trust the track record of the one who is in control and then truly let him have that control. Combine God's word, the written word here in the Bible, with your praise, with your worship, and a thankful heart to our Heavenly Father. 2 Kings 17, 39 tells us, Worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you. The next time you're attacked with a situation or, or personality, whatever the situation be, let's, let's not fight back with arguments and anger, dissension, or gossip, but instead claim the promises of the word of God and obey their instructions. If you need rescue in your situation, know that God will provide a way for you, even where there seems to be no way. He says, I will always provide a way for you. And then meditate on the character and faithful works of God. 
hold tight to the promises of words like God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Okay. I thought someone was real excited about coming in. I'm like, come on in, but we do birds. Um, let's not, I had to say something for the people who listen online. <laughs> um, let's not fight back with arguments, anger, dissension, gossip. And say, claim the promises of the word. Um, meditate on the character and faithful works of God. Hold tight to the promises. I said, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said he will not do it. He's never said I won't do that. Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Everything he says he will do, he will do. Everything he says that he will have done, he's done. That's from Numbers 23, 19. That promises go back to the Old Testament. How about Nahum 1, 7? This is a book we don't read from. It says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. We are protected under him. So meditate on that character. Reflect on your own life. Ask yourself, where do I need God's help today? Where do I need the favor or guidance of of my heavenly father? And and where do I need to see a miracle? Place your trust in God. Ask ask for his help and then follow when he answers. This is tough, right? We hate asking for help and we will get ourselves in all kinds of situations before we'll admit that we need any kind of help. But ask him for help. Humble yourself, the scripture says. Ask him to reveal how close he is, how much he loves you, and, and let him give that power to you. There's nothing like in a situation saying, dear God, I love you. Help me to feel that love, that peace, that control that I know you have. You know, giving trust to God is, is a kind of response. Not something that we make up or hope for, He's saying, I promise that I will. I promise I always have and will continue to. And you say, I believe that. I respond. I trust you. I have faith. We often read from Romans 8, 28. But I kind of want to start winding down by reading Romans 8, 27 through 30. And this is... This is found in the message. So this is not a translation. This is a paraphrase. So, so take what, I, what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Hear the spirit of the words, not the words themselves. Again, it's a paraphrase. Romans 8, 27 through 37, 30, I'm sorry. It says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our troubled condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Boy, that feels good. And, and Paul's writing about the Holy Spirit. Why well, that's encouraging to me. Starting at verse 29, it says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. You are equipped and designed and intended to be like Jesus Christ. Says the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Wow, that feels good. Wow, that's empowering. 
take courage, right? Be bold. Let me conclude with God's promise found in Isaiah. Again, another prophet, 43, 1 through 2. It says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. That is God's promise. That is unchanging. And we can trust that track record. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, how good it is to know that you are good, that you are perfect and complete and sufficient for us. Lord, you have created us to be good as well, and we struggle with that. It's fortunate that we have your guidance through the prayer, through the Holy Spirit, the life of your Son, and the words recorded in the Bible. Lord, we can read and and hear the track record you have of loving and caring for every part of creation. Lord, we want to trust that track record. We want to have the faith that it takes to be your child in this world, this broken world, and to be a light to others, to reach out to others and, and guide them into a relationship with you. Heavenly Father, there are times we are just doing this so well, and there are times that, that we really struggle. And it's so comforting to hear the words of Paul and that paraphrase that, that tell us that you're always with us. You've got a plan that you know our condition, you live within our hearts, and even when we don't have the words to pray or to say, we're just so, whatever that is, you know, you understand and you get us. We thank you for that. Lord, we, we pray that, that we are changed from what we've heard, that we can rely with even more faith and confidence that you are with us, among us, and taking care of us. Lord, again, we pray for the things we we want, but more importantly, we pray for the things we need, including peace in this time. We ask you, again, help us to leave this place and make a difference in the world in your son's name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.